0: Welcome to the CTO Studio. Our guests, plural, this week are Debbie, Alan, and Alex, startup, mid-massive companies, and we all talk about hydration, team culture, hiring strategies, and soul cycle.
1: I have a wonderful electronic invention I want you to see. It it looks something like this.
0: Welcome to the CTO Studio. I'm your host, Etienne De Bruin. The CTO Studio is where we chat with CTOs building amazing products with incredible teams. Have you chatted with a CTO lately? Debbie, Alan, Alex, welcome to the CTO Studio.
2: Thank you. It's great Thanks. to be here.
1: Thanks for having me
0: we are literally the first group chat because as all of you are followers of the podcast you've seen that it's just me and one other person and i found that i got so bored with those conversations <laughs> that i had to bring in some more people
2: well, as being one of the previous folks to have those conversations <laughs> i'm not sure how i feel about that
0: well you brought me to tears
2: yes that's right
0: uh, and I've just felt like maybe if we bring in more people, we wouldn't. More, go cheers. more, more tears. More tears. More cheers. Yes. Okay. More Got tears it. equals good. More tears. Uh, Debbie, founder of Hydrostasis. Yep. Alan is CTO, co founder of Limelight Health. Yep. Alex is the chief architect at Intuit. Uh do you think Intuit's gonna make it or I think Intuit's <laughs> gonna do just fine. Okay. Yes. You guys out of the startup, I think we
2: have a pretty good strategy to succeed, yeah. Do you
0: I don't know though if people would want to do taxes online though. Do you <laughs>
2: Um no, yeah, it's it's uh it's something that we're still trying to work out. <laughs> yeah. Does, is this internet thing gonna work? I don't know.
0: The product market fit stage. Now yeah. now hydrostasis is still asking those questions, right? Absolutely. So you're at the very early stage. Very early tell us about hydrostasis and the idea behind it and let's let's get going
1: sure um, so hydrostasis sort of came out of my frustrations at graduate school so we were uh, looking at a different um, signal and it was a very very small and diff- uh, small signal that I was trying to uh, figure out where that biological signal came from.
0: And that's a signal to to tell, tell you if you're hydrated.
1: Well, so that was not the hydration signal. This was actually, I was looking at developing a diagnostic tool for peripheral neuropathy. Mm. Um, so an early uh, diagnostic tool, we were looking at blood flow. Um, but that signal was so small, I was so frustrated, and I was looking at the hydration signal and <laughs> basically wondered, why couldn't we just look at hydration instead? But Of course, my uh, professor at the time was not interested in that at all. And, um, you know, and I just sort of, that was just like a rhetorical question. Um, And then fast forward, I don't know, 10 years, um, I actually started uh, training in Muay Thai, which is Thai kickboxing. and um, Is
0: that the one where you can kill someone with one swift move?
1: (laughs) No, it's basically kickboxing, but uh, slightly more violent. It's it's got elbows and knees, so they call it the art of eight limbs. So you got your hands and your feet and your elbows and your knees. Hmm. Um, It's uh, thousands of years of history um, in Thailand. Um, I love it because it's got a lot of culture and history, and that's sort of part of the martial arts and stuff like that. So um, started learning that, and then realized that you know I uh, needed a lot more water than a lot of my teammates. Also just like remembering, you know, what it was like going through my pregnancies, getting lightheaded, and I just kept wondering about this hydration thing. I don't know. Maybe it was like the universe uh, trying to tell me I should do something about it. Um, And then, yeah, I just decided that I wanted to give it a try. And I actually had the idea in 2016 um, and then went through uh, what used to be called My Startup XX at uh, UCSD, which is a female accelerator program. But at that time, it was sort of just like an idea, so I kind of did nothing with it. Um, and as we all know, if you go through an accelerator program and do nothing, you actually get nothing out of it. And so uh, I just, you know, at, and actually at the end of the accelerator program, I uh, was pregnant, so I, you know, took took some time off from trying to work full time and have a baby, and and then also start a company. Um, and then in 2018, I was like why uh, why hasn't anybody actually done this right and so when I actually started uh, pitching the idea and stuff um, a lot of the responses has been you know oh yeah Apple's got it oh yeah you know Samsung's got it somebody's done doing it and I said yes I wish they would um, but nobody and
0: this th- is basically measuring people's hydration levels like is that was that your question was how much water do I have to drink or m-
1: yeah so my question was why isn't there a easy to use, accurate hydration monitor that would give you continuous feedback, right? Because usually what people do is, um, you know, in the gym or, or, you know, your coach or whatever would tell you, okay, every 15 minutes, go take a drink of water. Like, to me, that's super annoying because what does that mean, you know, to you or, and I or, you know, a, whatever, a bodybuilder, we need different measures of water. And then also, you know, I would still cramp up, even though I was trying to drink up, uh, drink enough water, um, and then I just realized that you know everybody uh, has different you know needs for hydration, you know metabolic stuff, chronic diseases, uh, and then the more I dug into it, the more frustrated I got that there was literally nothing out there that could provide this information. And to me, it seemed like really easy because wearables are everywhere, right? So why hasn't this been done? Um, and then I started researching, and it turns out that even, you know, Olympic uh, teams are looking at, you know, urine color charts. So they literally have this color chart going from, you know, brown, dark brown to, you know, light yellow, and you're supposed to compare your urine as you you know, pee in the urinal and see what color your pee is, right? It's just, and then on the, on the very bottom of it, it says some medicines, foods, and supplements might change the color of your urine. And I'm just like, this is Olympic level, you know, elite athletes, and this is what they're doing. And it's just completely outdated, you know, um, I wish somebody would have done it before me, but no one has. Um, and so here I am trying to do it. So,
3: so you saw a need.
1: I saw a need, yeah. And then I sort of put the, the need with my athletes, uh, you know, um, experience and then also my, my science um, and sort of just like put it together. It's like melding of my worlds.
3: So is it hard to me- measure hydration?
1: It's hard to measure hydration in a way that it is useful um, because what exactly is hydration? It's very, very complicated uh, as a physiology. Um, So understanding the physiology, um, you know, there's intracellular hydration, extracellular hydration, um, you know, hydration in different organs and different muscle groups might be different. Um, So, you know, I just had to choose a certain way of attacking it. And for me, um, through my experience in my research is basically uh, I wanted to look at hydration deeper into the tissue. Mm. Um, So we're actually able to look um, around two centimeters inside uh, muscle tissue and so I think actually that provides a more um, accurate uh, assessment of uh, sports performance um, because it's actually looking at muscle and so the stats are actually uh, quite uh, interesting is that if you lose 2% of your total body water weight um, your cognitive functions actually decline significantly hmm. and if you lose 3% uh, your muscle power actually declined by up to 15% And your muscle endurance actually declined about up to 35%. And that depends on muscle groups, but those are sort of the the extremes. Um, And anybody that's an elite athlete can can lose easily up to, like, 5% of their body weight uh, within an hour inside the gym. So uh, all athletes are dealing with this. um, And so what we're able to do is notify uh, an athlete before they exit out of those ranges. um, And then hopefully, you know, they can, um, you know, provide themselves with whatever fluids or electrolytes that they're, you know, training with and their nutritionists and dietitians are, are suggesting.
3: Wow. And are you guys producing a device and software?
1: Yeah. So we have a hardware device and uh, the software piece is going to be the analytics behind it. Uh, we have some uh, machine learning. So basically we actually look at each individual workout session and we actually create a baseline for that individual athlete. Um, so we're looking at blood flow, skin tone, fat content, as well as hydration. And then the first three, we're actually using that as compounds to extract out, out from our hydration signal. So a hydration signal is a little bit more pure than um, uh, some of the other signals. Um, and then, yeah, and so we get that hydration signal, and basically we're able to run it through our algor- algorithms, which is based in physiology and physics. Um, And then our machine learning algorithms will sort of like build upon that. So with each session, you get uh, an updated optimal hydration range. So you get your highs and lows, and we sort of cinch it down to your optimal range. Um, And then we notify you before you exit out of that range. So we can actually do overhydration as well as Mm. dehydration. And overhydration, which is hyponatremia, is a uh, sodium imbalance, So endurance athletes like uh, ultramarathoners will often overload, Mm -hmm. um, and then they end up with, like, GI issues and, you know, um, sodium imbalance. So it's really important to have your electrolytes um, as well. So it's complicated.
3: (laughs) Do you believe that everyone should know their hydration
1: I believe everyone uh, would benefit from knowing their hydration. Yeah. Um, so it's funny because you know we're a B two B. We're targeting initially uh, collegiate teams, and we're working our way through mm-hmm. to healthcare eventually. Um, so I think those are the the two main uh, markets that would have the biggest impact. But I've had a lot of just normal people, busy execs, come up to me and say, "I I wish I would know," you know how my hydration is because I'm too busy to care, right, or I'm too busy to remember to drink more water. Um, And so I think it it does provide a sort of like basic wellness check for the general population. Um, So, yeah, there's a lot of different, you know, angles we could take it. um, But, yeah, because hydration is such a sort of basic need, um, I think everybody would benefit from learning more about it and really just educating yourself, right?
2: That's great. Uh, the The opportunity, it sounds like it's huge in terms it of is. the breadth of the kind of people who need this. Obviously, it's everybody. And so I was going to ask you, h- how do you pick that first target of, of a group of people? And it sounds like you've narrowed in on someone. Wh- right. Why was that the one that you picked?
1: So I actually started out B2C, right? Because it was like, oh, you know, it's one of those Fitbit things. It's really cool. You know, the Fitbit of hydration, right? Um, but you know, uh, I, I went through the Ad Astra um, Accelerator program and we really tried to work through um, you know, the the product market fit and trying to figure out, you know, what is uh, the best path forward um, and and we we kind of realized that, you know, the, the general consumer market is very finicky especially in the athlete sort of uh, wellness uh, world mm-hmm. um, and because you know, we're a brand new brand and a brand new device, uh, people don't really understand wha- where we're coming from. Um, the other thing too is that you know because we are coming from the sort of uh, scientific point of view and data analytics, it is a little bit more of an understanding of what we're trying to do mm-hmm. and we decided that through a coach or a decision maker. Um, what we're able to do is access those athletes, um, at or as a team, um, or in healthcare, it would be more, you know, a decision maker like a nurse or a technician or a physician, and then you know your your patients. And so, um, I think that decision maker really was was the key uh, because they're able to be there to provide that education piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, you know, really be the one that sort of curates all of the information because we're sort of information heavy um, and, you know, try to, try to go that angle. Um, and we also thought that, you know, collegiate teams uh, are a great way to start because, you know, we thought about professional teams, you know, they have higher revenue and they have more innovation uh, arms to their businesses. Uh, however, there's less teams and less athletes uh, so the NCAA has about 500,000 athletes, and you know more teams. And believe it or not, they have quite a bit of money as well. You know, uh, I think it was 230 uh, NCAA Division One teams have uh, revenues um, of 300, uh, 3 million and above. So those are the ones that we're targeting. Um, and uh, yeah, so we just kind of kept focusing, kept focusing, and kept focusing until we got to this one, you know, first vertical of collegiate teams. Well, that's
2: great. Yeah. You know, I I love the whole story of of how you got started, and out of personal experience actually comes sometimes the best innovation, and, you know, at the end, before you were joking about, you know, is Intuit going to make it, Uh, you know, Intuit started 35 years ago when Scott Cook saw his wife struggling to balance the checkbook on the Mm -hmm. kitchen table. Wow. And. We have that kitchen table at the Mountain View offices of Intuit. So, wow. my ask of you is to write all this down because it will become the folklore mm-hmm. of your company wow. uh, in the future. So it's it's really That's cool awesome. that you know we constantly talk about this folklore and it's a part of our identity as a company. So yeah, so make sure you write all that down.
1: Awesome, yeah, and it's it's funny how uh, this is m- way more of a personal journey than I had anticipated. Right? People were like, "Oh, I'm going to start a business," but it's more of like, "I'm going to." dig everything into my life and my past and try to figure out what it is that I stand for. And that's what Ad Astra sort of, like, helped me do. And, you know, and now it's a a strange feeling because it's only been a year, so I'm still very new at it. Um, But I feel like I'm a different person just from all of the soul-searching that Mm -hmm. (laughs) that has to happen when you start a company. So, yeah.
2: And then in terms of the – it's amazing that you have have hardware, you have software, you have data science going on. So how did you – how did you educate yourself to make sure that you can go and, and get these kinds of people to actually help you build your company?
1: Yeah, so my background is in biomedical engineering. So I sort of had background and experience doing a lot of these things. Mm. Um, so you know, for my thesis, um, it was a lot more hardware. So analog signals, which it's very <laughs> hard to find people to actually have analog signal experience these days. Um, you know, I built up a lot of the, the hardware myself, so mechanical stuff. Um, I did a little bit of coding, mostly in MATLAB, um, so more like a science, uh, so I would never call myself a coder. But, um, uh, and then um, I did a bunch of different things, so I realized that, you know, when I don't know something, I sort of go there. Um, And so after I graduated, um, I realized I didn't know anything about the application that my device was doing, Mm -hmm. which is uh, peripheral neuropathy. Mm -hmm. So I decided to do a postdoc in uh, UCSD Medical Center in the uh, Division of uh, Pathology. Mm -hmm. So I was a pure biology um, uh, postdoc, and uh, I was the engineer inside the the biology lab. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I ended up you know, making some, some apparatus for, for their uh, experiments, and then also uh, writing some software for them as well. Uh, and then I jumped to Scripps Oceanography, uh, which is a completely different field, and then I, I helped them build, um, what they were building at the time was a 3D uh, phytoplankton microscope, and learned about uh, how big data uh, you know, has to come in, because they basically do Um, 3D reconstructions of uh, water volumes um, really quickly through a liquid lens. Mm -hmm. So you just apply uh, um, uh, an electrical um, pulse and basically the lens will change shape physically and you're able to scan through uh, an entire 3D volume really quickly. I think they were collecting it at 80 hertz. Mm -hmm. Um, So all this data coming in, what do you do with it? Um, Buffering, like all of the the data... Storage and, and problems that you, you you come up with, and then I jumped over to <laughs> drug discovery mm-hmm. at Sanford Burnham, um, and uh, you know I was running the uh, microscopy core there and um, doing high content um, screening for uh, drug discovery. So my background has been everywhere, um, and it's sort of like with each uh, different job, I sort of built up the different aspects, and then now I have a you know. Sampling of experience, uh, but the main thing is you, you hire people that are better than you, right? Yeah. And so when I met Misha, I was like, yes, <laughs> you know, because Misha knows way more uh, than I do about the software side, and I just said, hey, this is what I'm what, what I'm trying to do, and he basically said, uh, this sounds amazing, and you know, I just let him let him do his thing, right? Um, and so that, that to me is, is the best uh, team, is that you know, you have full trust in your team mm. um, and you just like let them do their job. So. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: That's great. Well, it's, uh, I would say it would be great if you actually had some of your uh, mm-hmm. test devices here, but given the one that I'm drinking coffee, it's probably not a good thing. <laughs> <I
1: think.
0: laughs> I, I'm just struck by um, when we're in a room CTO types we generally feel like the smartest person in the room right <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Debbie is Until running circles <laughs> around the <this> brain <laughs> right now
1: well if you start talking about you know CTO stuff we need I'd to talk like about CTO <laughs> stuff, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: I'm curious um, I also love what Alex kind of picked on you know you used elite athletes and uh, uh, to me when you said that it sounded like okay she's identified her target market and the first approach and then the collegiate teams. Right. Um, So, and then the process to get to that, uh, you know, I think many companies that I'm helping, uh, oftentimes it's just very, very hard to describe that first customer to, you know, you have a gut sense about it, but why is it so damn hard to say, it's this person who has this need and has probably had, you know, this experience because that is, it's, so, you know, it's so much easier to target that person because it's not just that person that you say yes to, but it's the millions and millions of people you don't have to worry about anymore.
3: Yeah, I think that, that's what I was going to bring up is the risk, right? Because once you actually narrow it down to that customer, it's, am I forgetting somebody? Is there somebody right. that I should be targeting that maybe is a better customer? So I think there's that risk piece of it. The other thing that I think um, you and I have in common is that you have a customer and then you have a user, I think, yes. is what you're saying, right? Yeah. You have the people you're actually going to be selling to and then the people who actually be using the product. And that creates one other level that you have to think about, right? Because you have the buyer, the person making the buying decision. Right. And then you have the user and you have to think about both. How do I sell to this person? But how do I also make sure that the user has a great experience? Mm.
1: And I have a lot more layers than that, too. I'm sure you do, too. Yeah. Um, because my buyer could be anywhere along the lines. It could be the university administrator. It right. could be... You know, uh, athletic directors, it could be, um, you know, athletic trainers. It really just depends on the structure of the Mm -hmm. university. Um, And then the users, too, it could be assistant coaches. Um, What we found is that head coaches um, are not interested in being the user um, because they're too busy, you know, being head coach. Um, So, athletic trainers are very interested because they're actually interested in the safety aspect of the uh, athletes uh, and then strength and conditioning coaches as well um, because they're really uh, into sort of the performance side. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just trying to like inter- uh, interview all of these people and trying to figure out who exactly is the buyer and the user. And at the end of the day, it's like, well, you know, the athletes are the ones putting these on, but then they're sort of just the ones that being tol- they were being told what to do. And then the coaches are the ones actually using and digesting the information, and so it's it's really hard. It's really complicated, Uh, and we're still trying to figure you know figure some of this out. You know, what are the metrics that the coaches actually want to see? And that's an
0: environment though that um, the users are told they have to use it, right? So it's not you don't have an engagement problem at the very bottom of that
1: hierarchy. And that they're
0: told, yeah.
1: And that, that is the, the B2B piece, right? Yes. Because um, a lot of times you get these devices, and if you're, if you're B2C, it's like, oh, well, I tried it once and whatever. Um, but with, with, with these sort of uh, highly competitive teams, you're, you're trying to get that 1% edge, right, on performance uh, and safety. And athlete longevity is, is a big uh, piece of it as well, risk management, because these are, you know, students. Um, So, yeah, so there's a lot of stakeholders um, besides just, you know, the sports itself. Uh, Recruitment is is a big piece that sort of came out of left field is that, um, you know, uh, athletic programs can actually tell parents that, hey, you know, we care about your kids' hydration, you know. um, You know, heat-related illnesses uh, is a big thing. Every year some, you know, some student, you know, either keels over or gets really Mm -hmm. injured. Um, just from heat related illnesses, you know, these, these, you know, football players out on the field in the middle of the desert is, a is a big problem. Right. And so we're, we're trying to have none of that happen, you know, once we launch.
3: (laughs) So the, the, it's interesting you pointed out that the, I was thinking the user was the person wearing the device, but you pointed out really to you, the user is the trainer or the coach who's watching the data. Right. So um, can you expand a little bit on the actual usage? So there's continuous monitoring on the player or the, the athlete, and then you have somebody else who's getting all of that data. Is the intention that – so, for example, you talk about, um, you know, playing football out in the desert when they're training in the summer. Um, is the intention that you have continuous monitoring on the athletes and that the coach might actually call a player off the field and be yes. like, you need to get some water? And that right. would be one use case?
1: Right, yeah. So a lot during, of
3: times – During the game. Or during, rehears- Do, or during So rehearsals. right now we're
1: focused on training um, because a lot of the you know competitions actually uh, have. <laughs> Um, you know, stipulations against, you know, wearing sensors okay. right. or, yeah. or whatever. So and during so training. During right now we're focused on during training. Uh, but yeah, definitely, uh, you know, uh, train, uh, trainers or coaches can actually call, you know, athletes off the field if you see uh, them, you know, at risk. And so one of the things that we're building out for the coaches platform is basically, you know, athletes will pop up to the top mm-hmm. um, and basically, you know, we'll highlight them in red Um, And then you'll see live plots of these uh, hydration signals. Um, You're able to actually upload performance data as well and other streams of data. And what we've noticed is that uh, athletic trainers are bombarded, bombarded with like ten different streams of data, right. and they don't know what to do with it because a lot of times they are not data scientists, right? And so sometimes teams will have like a data person uh, on the team, but not every university has right. um, that person. And so what we're trying to do is actually uh, let them have a platform where we can actually <coughs> upload their information, and you know whether it be pen and paper or you know other streams of data. They might do heart rate, they might do you know um, other things, GPS units. Uh, Upload onto our platform. We're actually able to crunch the data for them, and what they can do uh, besides real-time, you know, monitoring, they can actually go back and look at their performance and their training regimen. Uh, how does that, you know, uh, look compared to their hydration? So, you know, then they can sort of tailor their um, training regimen accordingly.
3: So, that almost seems like a whole separate business. You've got the the hardware device, but then this yeah. platform that's taking in data from other. Devices, whatever else—that's yeah. all crunching all that. Right? Are you and you're doing both of those right now?
1: Yeah. So, uh, so, so the hardware piece is actually quite simple in in my mind. Um, yeah. So, uh, so it's the, the it's very close to MVP already. <coughs> um, we're really developing the software side, wow. um, and so we think that um, this software platform is actually um, one of our uh, strengths um, and really interesting pieces because um, this this whole data. Play right, right. Um, and I think um, um, sports is, is one of the last frontiers that have really not uh, taken up this this whole you know data analytics you know uh, machine learning. I specifically say no AI right now because I have this thing where everybody says AI, AI, AI. Thank you. But I, I specifically don't say AI. It's one of my pet peeves because I realize a lot of people don't actually know what AI means. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know what that means, it's quite dangerous, and we're pushing into safety. And so I specifically like – this is my soapbox. <laughs>
0: soapbox moment. <laughs>
1: soapbox moment. Okay, now I'm off the soapbox. So anyway, so I specifically don't say AI. It's just machine learning for now. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's a huge um, you know, benefit to be able to crunch all of that data.
3: Uh, is there a competitive landscape of other platforms or already that are doing that, or does that not exist?
1: Um, not any that has hydration information, right? Okay. So our benefit is that we actually provide that piece from our hydration.
0: So let's talk about that. Uh, Alex, I want to hear what you think, because um, I, think, I think what I'm sensing from Alan is a little bit of, oh, geez. Y- it's you. too much. No, 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 it's <laughs> not too much. It's just that, unfortunately... I feel like, and I see this conversation happen so many times, like, I really love the data you're bringing to the table. Now can you integrate it with everything else we have? And then the startup ends up, you know, having to build in uh, integration, adapters, parsing, you know, Mm -hmm. and then you end up with these massive, you know, data warehousing and then cross correlation. And it's not just with you. It's... um, You know, I think uh, this is why I think health kits are amazing with Apple because in a way it's just available, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Everyone can just, instead of doing all these mesh integrations, you just go to this one source of truth and just get everything, put everything in it and get everything out of it. Mm -hmm. But what are your thoughts about sort of that, do do you stay focused and say, you know what, we'll provide APIs and, and you take care of it? Or no, part of our value is that we're doing that integration.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think as company, as a company, you you have to determine um, <clears throat> what is core to you. What is the most important thing? And why do you exist as a company? What is your competitive advantage? And it's really interesting that as we look at the landscape in fintech, and you see a lot of the fintech startups coming in. Uh, if you didn't have Amazon, Google, and Microsoft creating clouds, it would be impossible, right? At the scale at which data is coming in, the scale at which you want to process data, the cost. I mean, you worked in the in the university setting, and universities always had lots of money to buy big supercomputers and yeah. storage and, and all of that, right? <clears throat> and so for the average world out there, it was impossible. And now suddenly it's possible. And so the opportunity to go very, very broad in terms of the problem that you're solving is huge, right?
0: So mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> does, does, that, does that almost mean that you, you, you kind of have to do it because it's...
2: Well, you, you do, but you still have to make the declaration of why do I exist? And I think that one of the things that you'll see, Debbie, and maybe you've already made this decision, is that uh, uh, s- small companies will go in and say, my, my role in life is to do X. And in your case, it's the hardware and the software to gather the, t- the telemetry. And very quickly, you'll say, I'm a platform company. And the fact that I started off as this thing to go get data, that was fun and interesting, and I'll continue to do this. But really what it does is it, it actually gets the flywheel going to be a platform company. Because you look at, we've done this analysis, you look at every big tech company out there in terms of software, they're all platform companies, mm. every single one of them, right? You ask the average person, what's Facebook? They'll say, oh, it's a social network. No, it's not. It's a platform company. Right? Mm. What's Google? It's a search company. No, it's not. It's a platform company, right? So it'll be interesting as you evolve and grow in your, in your business of, uh, is making that choice, right, of, of... Uh, do, uh, do you continue to kind of lean in most of the engineering uh, uh, development side to the telemetry and to the edge, or does that just become one of the means by which to get to your own platform?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So that's yeah. I, I think it's gonna be a, a, an interesting uh, move for you is to kind of make that choice.
1: Right, and we, we've discussed this <coughs> sure uh, yeah, with, yeah. with the team. Um, and I think for now, it's, it's just because there is such a huge need for something like that yeah. uh, in the sports market. Um, we're, you know, I'll, I'll just put it out there. We're not, you know, opposed to, you know, putting our data on other platforms as well, and that's mm-hmm. sort of what we've, uh, you know, um, trying to figure out which platforms would, would actually work for us. Um, so, yeah, so we're not – we're inbound, outbound. You know, we're open to, to you know, whatever um, opportunities uh, there there is out there. Um, but I think the, the really – cool piece is that we're the only ones that have the hydration piece right. and so that is the sort of calling for other people to come to us right so we're not just platform for the sake of platform mm. like ease of use which is great uh but then we also provide our own piece of uh, data stream
2: yeah and so the way that we refer to it into it is the mega platforms right so you've got the, the really really big platforms out there uh-huh. and the question is uh, are you going to uh Build your business and grow through integration with the mega platform, right. or are you going to uh, build your business by providing some niche on the mm-hmm. side of the mega platform? Right, right. And and that's that's a fundamental choice. And so, it sounds like at this point you're thinking both. But I do think that getting to what you were saying before at the end, it's I think it's a uh, question you have to very explicitly answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there's there's players out there forever who actually competed with uh, Amazon Marketplace. Mm-hmm. They did, then they just decided we're just going to be a store on the Amazon right. Marketplace, yeah. right? And so that's the Mm. difference. Like, do you have a niche, um, that actually differentiates you from the mega platform or is your growth play, is your role in life to actually work well with the mega platform? Yeah.
1: And even the hardware too can be easily, you know, uh, adapted into another device that's already out Mm -hmm. there. Right. So, yeah, so we're, we're, we're developing everything on our own. Um, and then trying to see what, you know, what, what avenues we can, we can go from there.
2: That's awesome. Well, one thing I'm really curious about is that, uh. Uh, as Etienne indicated, a uh, lot of amazing direct experience that you have. I mean, the way that you trained yourself is amazing. Um, but now your company is growing, so how do you scale yourself?
1: Yeah. Um, actually, uh, it, it's, a, it's a learning process for me um, because I realized um, – Is that
2: one of the hardest learning processes?
1: Oof. Uh, I think the the soul searching was, <laughs> was quite <laughs> difficult. Um, if you ask any of the uh, at, at Astro ladies – uh, but, yeah, it um, yeah I think I'd definitely the soul-searching was, was the most difficult for me. Um, but right now what I'm trying to figure out is, like, how to delegate. Um, so, I you know, I have a small core team, uh, uh, four, four people, um, and then, you know, offshore developers. And, and it's just, for me, I've just been running around for quite a while by myself. Um, you know, I, I used to, like, drive to the bank mm. and, you know, have – You know, deposit checks and you know, like stupid things like this. You don't, you don't think like it wastes a lot of time. It takes about an hour, right? Like he drives to the bank and do the thing and come back, and okay, there's an hour gone of your day, right? Um, And so, uh, a lot of times it's just trying to figure out like how to delegate and how to let people do their jobs, right? Uh, And then what exactly is my job? And uh, I'm sure you guys have all, um, you know, had these questions uh, go through your mind, is like you know um, um i've been asked many times as a scientist and first-time founder if i actually want to be ceo mm. um and this is quite interesting uh part of the soul searching as well is that uh, at first i actually thought that uh these mentors were telling me that i was doing a bad job mm. right because if somebody asked you like do you do you actually want to do your job <laughs> right and i'm Are like sure oh, is this because i i'm i'm can we cuss on is this because i'm a shitty ceo like are you trying to tell me something please just, just tell me right like because you're a yeah. trusted mentor just tell me um but no then i realized like okay no they were actually trying to ask me a question do you know what a ceo does mm-hmm. and do you want to do those roles mm-hmm. so for me fundraising is difficult right for everyone But also it's difficult for me because this is my first go, Mm. right? So how do you talk to investors and how do you present yourself? Like you can't just go in there, put on your nerd hat and talk to investors. Like you just can't, right? Mm -hmm. It's a different persona that you have to put on. And so I had to really just learn that. And um, so that was difficult. Uh, and then I realized I was really good at it (laughs) and then so basically (laughs) you seem
3: like you would be great Yes. the way you tell your story is incredible
1: right and I didn't know that right so it's so weird because you think oh yeah everybody's telling you you're a nerd like you can't do this you know you need to hire somebody with an MBA you need a co-founder right like I, I had so many questions and so many things and so many people doubting me and you know oh my gosh you're a minority female in tech and you're trying to start a business and and then now you want to be CEO what's wrong with you right <laughs> um, and so yeah so this is a lot it's a lot to learn uh, but I'm having a lot of fun Good. and so I think for me it's just I again like I just like run towards the things that I don't know and things scare the shit out of me right like public speaking is really freaking scary right and then i get on stage and pitch and you know um yeah so it's it's a lot of learning and a lot of fun
0: so uh since this is a cto studio um so that journey of sort of attracting uh your team uh attracting a cto yeah what can you can you tell us a little bit about what that was like uh you know i know we spoke when you were looking for one right and uh like at what point did you, as a founder, know that you needed one, and then also what do you think drew you know Misha to you sure. uh, or to the cause? Because um, I think it will highlight a little bit you know the the inspiration that I feel just listening to you. You know, it's it's like I almost I've, I I I want to help. That's how I feel when I listen mm-hmm. to you, and I think. Uh, that is that is the magnetism that comes with a CEO that knows the mission, they know mm. what they want to do, and they lead and they shine that light to their people. Yeah. Uh, actually, just to interrupt my own question, <laughs> when I listen to Alex talk about his leadership team and just what he draws at that macro mega mm. level, the just the what you draw from people at that level even, it's, it it's always amazes me at, at the effect we can have on each other whether you're uber tiny or uber huge, mm-hmm.
1: right? So I met you at uh, Etienne from uh, Vidia at um, at Astra, and then I reached out, right? And I said, "Hey, I'm looking for a CTO." So I, let's back it up again. Um, I realized I needed a CTO because I know nothing about software, mm. right? So um, one of the things with the soul searching is, you know, what are you good at and what are you not, right? And so a lot of my experience has been, you know, in the hardware. And honestly, I'm not really a hardware engineer either, right? So I can't go build out you know, the electronics. Uh, so I had to hire someone to do that. Um, but at least I knew enough to design it. Um, and, and, I, and for the software part, I knew the vision, but I had no clue how to go about it. Um, and so then I started on the hunt for a CTO. And then uh, Vidya introduced uh, me to you. And then you, know, you were like, hey, this, this guy is looking for a job right? And I said, okay. And you know, when you're so small and you're just starting out, you're literally taking every single meeting possible, right? And so um, it's, it's funny because I honestly did not interview any other CTOs. Yeah.
0: Can, uh, can we cut can that? We cut cut that? <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, so a little bit about how, how I go about it is it's, it's uh, I think a lot of people, this is, this is what people call unpopular opinions, right? Um. The way that I I do things is that I I go with with connection, um, and I realize that uh, there are some people that only work with good people, right? And so, um, I think uh, at Astra, uh, as a, as a group, is one of those people, and I have very deep trust for the people that they send me to, right? So immediately when they sent me to you, um, I was like, okay, I don't know who this guy is, but okay. And then you sent me to Misha. So it's already, you Mm. know, by referral. So that's that that proof. Right. And then when I met him, and obviously I did my own due diligence and looked him up and whatever, but um, when I met him, we we talked on the phone first and then we, we met for lunch and we talked for about two and a half hours. Um, so it was a really long <laughs> lunch. Um, we just talked about life, you know, um, and we never really had an official interview. Um, again, let's cut that out. Um, <laughs>
0: By the way, we're not going to cut it out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it was just everything that I do, because it's such a small scale, um, is, um, it was just, you know, organically, right? And do we have the right fit? And honestly, um, I don't go out there looking for the world's best ex for this position. I go out there to find the right person that believes in my mission and also has the right skill sets. Mm. Right? So you, to me, honestly, mm. like I'm not the world's best whatever. I'm not the world's best CEO. I'm not the world's best engineer. I'm not the world's best anything. Right? But I'm just very passionate about what I do. And um, I do it with these sort of life philosophies Mm. in mind. Um, And I sort of set out to do this uh, is to put people first and to only work with good people, whatever Mm. that means, Mm. (laughs) right? And Misha was one of those souls, right? And so uh, we we just really connected. And he talked about different cases in his life that he's dealt with um, with hydration. Um, I don't know if he ever gave me permission, but he said he used to have headaches all, all the time, and then uh, he started drinking a lot of water right before bed, like two big glasses of water right before bed. His headaches went away, mm. and so it's just something so fundamentally easy, um, mm. and he just he just got it, mm. right? Um, and so he just believed in the mission, and um, he believed he could do something about it. He was interested in the project, and I think for him, it was a challenge, mm. because this is something that he was not used to be, you know, doing because he's used to just being software, um, and so now we have a hardware piece, um, and he was really excited to to hop on that challenge. And I think for me, it's just, you know, that that to me is is very much part of it is that you know you have to challenge yourself, you want to do something that's completely yeah. different, and and really learn from the process. Yeah,
0: and, and we have an interesting, uh, we have startup, we have mid or small to mid, and we have enterprise. How does that scale? Because I love I love the idea of saying, uh, don't underestimate that you've got to like the people you work with. And I think oftentimes we try and um, abstract that out of the con. Well, I don't like him, but wow, he's, I'm really amazing at his job. Um, so I like placing a premium on the likability and the relationship and the connection. And then I like to say, well, let's do small projects to see... Yeah. Mm-hmm. um you know if this is gonna work and and let's give each other permission to fail and and I think it probably gets progressively harder to, sure. to have that approach you know going from Debbie to you to you I mean, you know there's this way more implication uh, if, if you, you can't how, how does that scale I guess I asked the two of you
2: I think historically it scales poorly <laughs> but um we actually had this really cool uh, innovation inside of Intuit about four years ago where we th- totally rethought our interview process and we changed it from kind of the standard ask a bunch of questions to see what knowledge someone has to actually move it towards are they a good fit And the good fit is two things are they a good cultural fit mm-hmm. like does it do, are they do, do they lead the way that we want to lead it into it Are they good people like like you said Debbie um, does it bring diversity to the company, right? So we, we look at that, number one. And the second is is to think about the role they're coming to as a craft. So as a craft, are you good at the craft? Do you love the craft? Mm-hmm. Can you prove the craft? So in our interviews, we don't ask questions about like coding. We basically say, we, we, we create a scenario where you basically present your craft to a group of people. And we look at your passion for the craft. We look at the way you problem solve. We look at the way... If, if part of, the, qu- part of the, the craft exercise you didn't know the answer to, what's your approach when you don't know the answer? Mm-hmm. Do you ask us questions? Because right? that is more important to us. So I do think there are absolutely ways to get to scale. And in fact, it is losing the desire to maintain that level of, of, of uh, <coughs> uh, rigor in terms of how you bring people in that I think makes companies fail. Because you think, okay, I'm scaling now, so it's just time to start hiring fast. No. No, it's not about filling open recs. I'd rather have one person who fits than three people just to fill seats.
3: Absolutely. So we're in the growth mode right now and um, culture for us is so important. And I think you hear that a little bit, but we've touched on a number of great topics, passion, trust, craft. I mean, for me, one of the things that we look for is I don't, to your point, I don't need the best software engineer in the world. What I want is someone who loves building great software and is constantly thirsty to learn more, right? So I've actually stopped looking for people who necessarily know my stack and have experience with my stack. Are you a great software programmer? You should be able to learn our software language, right? You can go learn JavaScript, you can go learn TypeScript, whatever it is that you're doing, but then from there, are you passionate about what you're doing, right? Are you going out? I, my team members, if, if you're not going out outside of work and watching videos or learning because you're just excited about what you're doing, you're probably not, not the right person to be on the bus. And that's something that I talk with my team about is that we need to get the right people on the bus and then we can figure out what seat they're in, mm. right? And, and there's all these, these topics you guys have brought up is amazing. Like the trust one is huge, right? Because right. I need to be able to hire somebody that I know they're passionate about their craft they're good at what they do, but more importantly, they they know how to find the answers, Mm -hmm. and that I can trust them to say, here are your objectives, here are your boundaries of how you can operate, and I'm gonna trust you to go do it well, and then we'll continuously iterate on that. Um, And being able to trust them to do that and show that I really, truly trust them and I'm gonna let them fail within a certain bounds so they can then continuously Mm -hmm. improve is so important. And I think all of that creates a culture and continues to uh, um, build a company where you have everybody on the bus who's passionate about what they're doing. They're excited about what they're doing. They're supporting the people around them. And I think with that, hopefully, and we'll see. I mean, like for us, where we're growing, we're going to be adding a bunch of people. We want to make sure that we're getting the right people on. Um, because that one person, you bring in that one person and they create that negative. Right. It can destroy a whole team's culture in yeah. like in just a couple of weeks. Right. So I actually remember... Um, when I was working with at Accelerator, Jeff Haney, the, the CEO, one of the things he said that's always stuck with me is that um, great companies um, are built around who they fire, not necessarily mm. who they hire. The point being that not only is it important to bring great people onto the bus, it's so important to make sure if you have somebody who shouldn't be on your bus, you get them off. Mm. Right. right?
2: Totally. And, and, I, and I completely agree with everything you just said. One other additional aspect is uh, it's about creating the environment that almost creates antibodies, mm-hmm. right? Because it's one thing to actually have to get to the point where you have to fire someone. We actually drive more towards self-selection, yep. right? You're mm-hmm. non-apologetic about the culture that you're creating. Mm-hmm. You're non-apologetic about yep. the, the environment you create. And then people know that. They feel that, mm-hmm. right? And then many times, if they don't belong, you don't even have to get to that point. Yep. They end up self-selecting.
3: That's absolutely true. Yeah. I've been sh- that. It's funny you explicitly say that. I've been shocked how many times there's somebody who are like we're probably gonna let them go. And within like that same period of time, and they're being, like, you know, actually, uh, this is the right thing. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> that made it easier. <laughs> it's so true though, and I think being explicit about the culture is so important, right? Because you can't just say like, oh, well, our culture is who we are and it's just there. You have to talk about it, you have yeah, to put absolutely. it out there. You yeah. know, for us, it was a huge moment when we actually published our mission, vision, and values to our company, and the biggest one was the values. Mm-hmm. Like, this is who we are, this is what we believe in, and if this isn't what you believe in, it's totally yeah. fine. Like. You and the, value, the, the values
0: self-select them out. Absolutely. And I think that's what you're doing, right? You're putting <coughs> right. the values out there. You're, right. you're, you're inviting people to be a part of that or not.
1: Yeah. And I don't want to say I just go randomly hire people, you know, without, it's without too late, that. Man, it's <laughs> <too late. laughs> But, but it's so here's, here's this funny story. Um, so, you know, in, in the soul searching and the strengths finding, uh, one of my strengths is uh, individualization from, from the Gallup uh, Strength Finders. And that's just basically, you know, when I meet someone and talk to them, get to know them, I can generally tell, like, what they're good at and what they may be good at that they m- might not know. And so what I did was I, I hired the, the the four core uh, team, and I did not know this. But several months later, I asked them to take the Gallup Strengthfinders test, and it turns out that we actually have all four corners uh, covered. covered. Wow. So, we, so Misha's in the strategic vision and executing. Uh, I'm more on the executing uh, and relationship building, um, Ariel's on the relationship building and executing, and then we have Jake, our customer development, in sort of the influencing. So it, we have all four corners, and they were all placed in the right corners, mm. at, as I yes, had hoped, yes, yes. right? No, but there was, no, there was no there was no validation until this happened, and I was, like, super happy yeah, about I lo-
0: it. I love that you, and we're wrapping up, I love that you said your CTO is in strategic vision. Yeah i think a lot of founders come to me and say i need someone who's got who's like can code and i'll call them cto and we'll give them some equity and you know and then my second question is speaking of soul searching when i do soul cycle (laughs) (laughs) do i have to drink water during those 45 minutes or is it okay to drink water before and then after
1: I think it depends on on you, right? So we that's what we want to do is to provide you with a personalized hydration uh, information. And so if you do need, uh, you know, to supplement in between, and how much do you need, uh, and how far, do you, you know, how fast do you, mm. you crash? It's all about, you know, the the timing, which is why the continuous monitoring is important. And then also, how long does it take for you to rehydrate? So the the whole, you know, continuous part is is very uh, important. And but is definitely.
0: Is it okay to say when I'm thirsty I should drink?
1: So that's too late.
0: Wow, it's too late. Boom. Yeah.
1: So one of our things is, is that when your body tells your mind that you're thirsty, it's too late mm-hmm. because
0: you've already start used to already so ex- thirst
1: comes in at about one to two percent total body weight that
0: uh, is loss. Crazy. Okay. Yeah. Well, we have to stop. <laughs> Even though everything inside of me felt like we just like we just got started.
2: Yeah. Well, that was kind of the microphone drop moment right
0: there, right? That was. I yeah. think that's a good way to yeah. end. Debbie, Alan, Alex, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, it was great to be Thanks, here. Thanks, Debbie. It was
1: fun. Good luck. Thank you.
0: Have you chatted with the CTO lately? Hi, thank you for listening to the CTO Studio. If you don't mind, take a quick second and please rate and review the show. It helps us a lot. Go to thectostudio.com for more information on what we're doing at seven CTOs. We also have a video or two for you that could be a helpful resource for you as you're managing your company. So thank you for listening.